<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from the Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning. Happy Friday. We all survived another week in Trump's America. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. I am your special guest host, Kylie Joy Gray, executive editor of Share Blue Media. We have a very exciting show planned for you today. Awesome guests to talk about amazing things and plenty of fun news to talk about. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so uh, save the planet, obviously. We want to be better about what we're wasting and what we're using. So you want to have one of these reusable water bottles, right? I have mine. I carry mine with me, right? I have my reusable coffee cup. That works. That's, that's good. Uh, well, here's the thing. Mental Floss has a story this morning about how often you should be washing your reusable water uh, bottles because a lot of people are sort of lulled into a false sense of security oh god and they don't wash them enough they say you should be washing them every single day with soap and water oh i'm safe then yeah i mean i (laughs) I, I, every single day I, i i'd say i probably wash it every other day but a lot of people will just like keep one hanging around and you just like keep filling it up and maybe you don't finish all the water that was in it yesterday. So you just top it off with more water today. Hygiene, kids. It's all about the hygiene. Well, they point <laughs> out that there is, um, you know, there's an issue of mold. There's a lot of bacteria. Brushing. And it just sort of like hangs around and gets into the water and you don't want to do so just look congratulations you're doing the right thing by getting a reusable water bottle don't go buy a bunch of bottles of plastic bottles of water but also wash those suckers right this has been your psa for the morning wash the stuff that you put your mouth on if you take one yeah yes yes that that's a good rule of thumb no matter what uh just use a little soap and water just use a little soap and water uh, so I, I, I love the city of Philadelphia. I think it's great. I think it's a gritty uh, place to live. Well, they have some pothole problems. <laughs> uh, 
and Philadelphia is sort of notorious for not fixing those potholes. Well, there's one neighborhood in Philadelphia, Point Breeze is the name of the neighborhood, and they really wanted to get a couple of potholes fixed. In fact, they've been complaining about it for several weeks now, and the residents say, hey, we're, like, just hanging out in our house, and we hear this constant noise of, like, cars driving over the pothole and, like, bottoming out, and it's just, like, a terrible noise. So how do you get the city to take it seriously? How do you get the city to actually come and fix it? Well, one of the angry residents decided that what they were going to do was pay or spray paint, paint a gigantic penis next to the pothole. That would motivate me. And I think. the city was like, oh, we should probably fix that now. Because <laughs> would you rather have people complaining about a pothole or would you rather have people complaining about a giant phallus in the middle of the street? They decided they would just probably just fix the pothole and paint over the penis and problem solved. I mean, look. So if you live in a city with potholes and you can't get them fixed. I'm not advocating that you do that, but also it worked. Apparently we are the PSA show today. Yes. All the public service announcements you need. Call it a penis (laughs) PSA, folks. That's what we're here for. Uh, And how about some good news? There's a lot of bad news out there these days, but some good news. Uh, Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning is free from prison. Uh, She had spent 62 days in prison in Virginia for not divulging her sources. Uh, Well, overnight, she was released from prison. It's an absolute tragedy uh, what has happened to Chelsea Manning uh, over the years. And uh, Welcome, Welcome back to society, Chelsea. I know. Yeah, I mean... Not a great society that you're coming back to. I'm sorry to say, but look, it's it's a good thing that she is she is out of prison, and that should be celebrated. I'm very much looking forward to hear her getting back on social media because her Twitter feed is very very good. This is the Bill Press Show. Good morning. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I'm the executive editor of ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. We have a great show planned for you today. We have senior national investigative correspondent Matt Greenblatt coming up, politics and voting rights reporter Addie Baird, and senior director of communications at Planned Parenthood, Erica Sacken and all kinds of fun, exciting news to talk about with you today. So let's start with yesterday's meltdown from the Commander-in-Chief, leader of the free world. There's always a good meltdown (laughs) when we're talking about Donald Trump. So, So this was amazing. Yesterday, Donald Trump had what was supposed to be a pretty boring standard presidential event at the White House where He had gathered some senators, some members of Congress, some medical professionals. He was going to announce that they wanted to make sure that people don't get surprise medical bills anymore. You go to the doctor, you come home, you get a bill, it's $10 zillion, and you're like, wow, didn't see that coming. Well, look, let me me just say this. If there's one thing we know about Donald Trump, it's that he is a policy wonk. He is. And he He loves to talk about these issues and explain them in a very effective way to the American people. Absolutely. By reading the prepared remarks and trying to keep his eyes open while he's doing it. Yes. So 
totally boring event and the kind of thing that, you know, a normal president probably wouldn't even bother having an event because this isn't even a, a controversial thing. I don't think they're like, yeah, sounds good. Get it done. I got important stuff to do. But since Trump never actually does any work, when he's pretending to do work, they, they like to make it an event. So he's reading his prepared remarks. He's trying like hell to keep his eyes open, can barely do it. And then the questions start. And he's asked about whether he's going to let special counsel Robert Mueller testify to Congress. And that is when he perks right up and it all goes to hell. And he spends the next 35 minutes doing that thing he does of ranting like the crazy person on the street, but from inside the White House. I love my big mad president. He was he was very animated, though. He gets very animated. My favorite part was the doctor standing behind him, like yeah. in his white coat, looking like a doctor, trying so hard to not, I'm not even sure what he was trying not to do, roll his eyes, groan, smack his forehead, run out of the room screaming. But he was like, you could just see him trying to keep his face straight as he watches the president of the United States completely lose his mind for 35 minutes straight. And again, as you pointed out, this was supposed to be, I mean, this is how a lot of things start out with Donald Trump. It was supposed to be a like a pretty low-key event, talking about these medical bills, yep. show up, read a teleprompter, that's it. So, but I, then I, <laughs> we, I, took a, we took a right turn. I don't even know where to start because uh, it was all just, totally bonkers, crazy, insane. But, you know, he, he had some unkind things to say about Robert Mueller, the guy who supposedly just wrote a 400-page report that fully exonerates him. Oh, and yeah. No collusion, no obstruction, no nothing. Trump's the greatest. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't like Mueller very much. Bob Mueller's no friend of mine. I had conflicts with him. We had a business dispute. We had uh, somebody that is in love with James Comey. We like James Comey. They were very good friends, supposedly best friends, maybe not, but supposedly best friends. You look at the picture file and you see hundreds of pictures of him and Comey. The picture file. There's so much, I mean, to diagram out of that little clip. <laughs> so here's my question. We had a business dispute. What? Right. Like the business dispute was something like he didn't want to be a member of Trump's crappy golf club anymore or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, okay, at my, this is the thing that I'm obsessing on, picture file. What does that mean? Yeah, so, like, does, does Trump call whoever at the DOJ and say, get me the picture file on this Mueller guy? And they bring it to him, and there are all of these pictures of Bob Mueller and James Comey right there together in the same room at the Department of Justice where they both worked at the same time. Woo-hoo, Scandalous. I mean, really, truly amazing. And I also like that he's he he says that, you know, I heard that they were best friends. Maybe not. I heard some say just making it up, spitballing. The picture file thing, uh, like there are a couple things that are just weird Trumpisms, right? That like don't make sense to anybody except for Trump. But also like he probably made sure, as you said, that he went to somebody at the DOJ and was like, get me all the pictures of the two of them together. And he has a little, like, manila folder on his desk with a bunch of pictures. Look at these pictures, yeah, all these pictures. Of the two of them together. Yeah. And again, it's a very strange thing to be 
attacking and slandering the guy who supposedly just exonerated you. Because remember, this is what Trump has been saying for a month now. Fully exonerated. It's the Democrats who don't want to talk about Mueller anymore. If this guy just said, nope, he's totally innocent. We found nothing on him for 400 pages. Like, why doesn't he think that Mueller is his best friend? Why isn't he in love with Mueller? Why aren't they taking selfies together? I don't get it. Um, there was another interesting moment in the meltdown, the 35-minute meltdown that we watched, where he he he's not a fan of John Kerry. Apparently they have some disputes. <laughs> John Kerry violated the Logan Act. He's talking to Iran and has been, has many meetings and many phone calls, and he's telling them what to do. That is a total violation of the Logan Act. Okay. Number one. Mm. Sir, what's the Logan Act? That's it. That's what I wanted to say. Uh, uh, number two. In, in Donald Trump's mind, the, the reason that Iran doesn't want to deal with him isn't because he's a, you know, blustering idiot, and it isn't because he violated the deal that we had with Iran, so he's not exactly a trustworthy negotiating partner. It's because John Kerry is on the down low calling up Iran and saying, hey, Iran, don't talk to that Donald Trump guy, okay? And they're like, okay, Mr. Kerry, got it, we won't. And for that, he thinks that John Kerry should be prosecuted. I, I, I want to come back to your first point for, for just a moment. <laughs> What's the Logan Act? <laughs> Somebody needs to ask Donald Trump, what is the Logan Act? And it just sit back and enjoy the next thing that comes out of his mouth. Because it's going to be nonsensical. In, in all of my complaints about the White House press corps, I think that one of my top complaints is that they never just stop and ask him to define the thing that he's yeah. talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when he <laughs> invokes laws and acts and policies, just just ask him, what does that mean? Yeah. Please tell us. Tell us exactly what John Kerry should be prosecuted for under the Logan Act. Here's the other thing that bothers me about that. Um, since I'm old... I can remember the days before Donald Trump was president and we had a real president named Barack Obama and the Republican senators sent an open letter to Iran and the letter was essentially, dear Iran, we really hate Barack Obama and we like to pretend he's not actually president. We'd like you to do the same by not making any deals with him because we don't recognize his authority as president and we think you shouldn't either. Tom Cotton was the leader of this treasonous act. I completely forgot about that. Never forget. Never forget. So so it's funny to me that Republicans are always projecting and accusing other people of doing the things they actually do, but it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few years ago that Republicans were openly saying to Iran that they should not recognize the authority of the president of the United States and should instead be doing what the Republican Party wanted them to do. John Kerry, of course, had a response um, to what Donald Trump said. It's, it's kind of an evergreen response that you could say to anything that Donald Trump says. Everything President Trump said today is simply wrong. End of story. <laughs> Just hang on to that statement and... 
put it out every time he says anything. It's like how every news story should end, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Trump also had some things to say about his son, Don Jr., who's in a little bit of trouble this week because this is one of my favorite stories. It's a feel-good story of the week. Don Jr., idiot, official idiot. The Mueller report actually found that he tried like hell to collude with Russia, but was too dumb to figure out how to do it. That's the thing. Okay, no collusion, no collusion. We hear that all the time. Okay, they tried. But not for lack of trying. They were just too dumb. I mean, I... It almost makes me feel worse. Like I this is my 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 debate that I have with people all the time. Stupid or evil? Which would you prefer the president of the United States to be? Now I realize it, it we live in a both and world. Um but it's incredible that Donald Trump is like and Jr. are are trying so hard to betray the United States of America and work with Russia. And they just couldn't figure out how because they're not good at, you know, clandestine operations. You know, to take it to the workplace, right? Like I always (laughs) describe it, you know, you can either work with two kinds of people. You can work with people who are really, really, really good at their job, but are like kind of hard to work with. They're kind of difficult people. or you can work with people who are like not great at their job, but they're really likable and you get along with them very well. Sure. Donald Trump Jr. manages to combine someone who is really, really unlikable, but is also very incompetent. Yeah. He's like the worst of both worlds. Which is why he's never had a real job. Oh, no, no, of course and not. And just runs his daddy's failing business. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's one of those, like, I'm not mad, I'm almost impressed right. that you could be this unlikable and this incompetent. Truly, truly amazing. So, so Don Jr. Um, got uh, <clears throat> got subpoenaed by the Senate Intelligence Committee this week. It's important to note that the Senate is run by Republicans. The Senate Intelligence Committee is run by Republicans. The guy running the committee, Senator Richard Burr, has been very good to Donald Trump and has been breaking the deal that he has with the Democrats on the committee by running around saying, no, we haven't found anything. There's the, nothing there. Yesterday, uh, Trump, I think, or, or, or Jr. said, you know, called Richard Burr a so-called Republican. Yeah. There are very few senators who are uh, more Republican yeah. than Richard Burr. And he's definitely the guy Jr. should be alienating right now. Right. <laughs> Again, Burr, we get back to the fact that he's who, incompetent. Who's been in the Senate for a while, has already said he's not going to run for re-election, so has nothing to lose or be afraid of. This guy has decided that Donald Trump Jr. is such a piece of crap and such a liar and has definitely done such bad things that he thinks Don Jr. needs to come back to the Senate and explain some inconsistencies in his previous testimony. Is that bad? Uh, Is it a bad thing? It sounds bad. It it doesn't sound good. So it's been really interesting to watch the family feud here because other Republicans are really mad about this. Like, let it go. Mitch McConnell just said case closed. Why you got to reopen this can of worms? And then you've got Mick Mulvaney, the White House chief of staff, who's already trying to throw Junior under the bus. I love this. Mick Mulvaney's asked about Junior getting subpoenaed. And he says, look, the report fully exonerated Donald Trump. Not true, but sure. Okay, let's go with that. But they're two different people. 
So I can't really say what Don Jr. might have done. I just know that Donald Trump Sr. is totally kosher. Like, get under the bus, kid. Yeah, seriously. And uh, we've all seen that Donald Trump will sell out anybody. Um, does does anybody out there in the listening audience think he wouldn't sell out his own kid? It's not even his favorite kid. That's right. That's right. The interesting question to me is, the, the, will the, Junior the, sell out his dad? The Trump sons uh, are going to get zero sympathy from their dad. <clears throat> Either Donald Trump Jr. or um, uh, the one that he's got the Habsburgs and Eric. Right. Eric. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, other the guy. other one. So, so of course. <laughs> the guy you know, whose entire body is one shade of flesh color. Right. Hair, like you can't tell where the hair begins and the face. It's, right, it's yeah. just he's just the other Trump. Yeah. So, so Dad is asked about his, you know, loser son yesterday and had some comments. I was very surprised to see my son. My son's a very good person, works very hard. The last thing he needs is Washington D.C. <clears throat> he could rather not ever be involved. What a great statement! Basically saying he's a good boy. Yeah. He's a good boy. So the last thing he needs is to have the Senate subpoena him to explain why he perjured himself in prior testimony to Congress. Who needs that? Who has the time? Um, it's really interesting to watch what's going to happen with Junior. Um, <laughs> because he's he's attacking Richard Burr and everybody on the, the right wing world is saying now Richard Burr is part of the deep state. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. And um, so he's attacking Byrd. The Republicans are fighting amongst themselves about whether this is a good idea or not. And then there's Senator Blumenthal, who is saying, you know, if if Junior decides he's going to defy the subpoena, which you're not actually allowed to do, we're not going to let him off the hook. You hate to see it. You just hate to see it, don't uh, you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Blumen, uh, what did Blumenthal say? He, he'll end up in jail, which is fine with me. He fails to answer. He ought to be put in jail. Witness. If he fails to comply with a lawful subpoena, he has no privilege. Prison is the only answer. Uh, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Lock him up. Lock him up. Um, and then so then there's Senator Warner, who is the ranking Democrat on this Senate Intelligence Committee. He has some thoughts on on Junior as well. We've seen um, literally hundreds and hundreds of witnesses. And the committee has been very clear with everyone that uh, uh, we reserve the right to bring witnesses back if we have further questions or there's inconsistencies. And um, I've been pleased with the fact that uh, um, many folks affiliated with Trump, maybe even other family members, have come back to our committee and honored those commitments. So no pressure, Junior, but like <laughs> y- you have to come back and you have to explain yourself. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is that he doesn't have an excuse for not coming and there's really nothing his dad can do to protect him because as we've been told so many times, he's not a part of the administration. So there's no executive privilege because theoretically, Donald Trump Sr. is not having, you know, highly confidential uh, conversations with Donald Trump Jr. about the policies that he's setting for the country and the world because he's not a part of the administration. So so there's nothing dad can do to protect him. He's got no reason for not showing up. If he doesn't show up, they're happy to throw him in jail. I think we'd all enjoy that. Uh, and 
And as we know, you know, Do- Donald Trump doesn't seem that eager to protect his kids. So if it comes down to him or Junior, I I think Junior's at the losing end. There's going to be a moment at some point where something terrible happens. Or not something terrible, but something uh, uh, a legal action is taken against Donald Trump Jr. And Donald Trump is going to say, Donald Trump Jr.? Nah, I never heard of him. Coffee boy. Never never heard of him. Coffee he boy. was a staffer for my campaign, which is like such a great DC put down. That's what he said about Steve yeah. Bannon. Steve Bannon was a staffer on my campaign. Oof. Right. Michael Cohen was just one of several lawyers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing. I don't recommend him as an attorney. <laughs> that yeah. was the tweet that he said about And, and, yeah, and the, the thing is, uh, you, you have to really question why anybody would work with Donald Trump at this point, knowing he will sell you out. He has no loyalty to anybody. Remember when he used to run around bragging about all of his generals? He loved his generals. Mad Dog Mattis and John Kelly and H.R. McMaster. Where are those guys, those guys now? Fired on Twitter. That's where they are. What a Fired legacy. on Twitter. What a legacy. You know, it's it, it also whether I mean, no matter what the job is, anybody that is qualified enough to take the job in a Donald Trump administration is not going to take it, and anybody who will take it is not qualified enough. Yeah. You know, and like <laughs> uh, the Attorney General Barr, uh, there was a story in Politico. Uh, last week i guess about how there were some democrats who were like oh yeah whoops we we voted for this guy we voted to confirm him and it's just like anybody who will work for donald trump at this point anybody who will say yes they are not worthy of having the job you should vote no you should not confirm right i mean at this point and i think that Barr has really demonstrated it if you're joining the trump administration at this point you are willfully knowingly joining a cover-up wait wait but what about all the people that are going to help him run the administration in a in a smart and effective way they're just there to help. fired on twitter <laughs> they're just there to like help him <laughs> sort of keep things between the ditches they're going to write the ship i mean <laughs> one of my favorite examples bill shine bill shine the disgraced former executive from fox news the guy who like figures out how how long the fake eyelashes on the fox blondes should be they're gonna bring him in to help donald trump deliver his message better and remember for a while they were making these like really weird home videos that trump would tweet out i guess that was bill shine's idea where is bill shine now where is where what yeah. happened to Bill Shine? I what, can't remember. Oh, he's there? not there. That's right. He's not there. He's not there. The generals aren't there. Rince Priebus isn't there. Steve Bannon isn't there. Ivanka, I'd sleep with one eye open if I were you. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, this is what happens when you're a narcissist, an idiot, and a wannabe criminal. I'm trying to think of like who has managed to thrive. In the Trump administration. I can I mean, think of one person. Hmm. Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway. That's because a- she's so disgustingly shameless. Yeah. Her, her entire job, and this was her job as campaign manager mm-hmm. on the campaign, you know, manager my butt, but she just goes on TV yeah. and just like lies and insults everybody. And for some reason, all of the networks are like, yes, please bring on more of that. She doesn't do anything else. Like, that's her job. And so she's thriving because that's what he loves. Send a blonde on TV to yeah. lie for me. Yeah. Uh, you talk about, you know, the the lessons of 2016 that the media did not learn. Uh, which, All of Which, them. by the way, we could 
fill an ocean with <laughs> with all the things they didn't learn. But the fact that CNN will now have like you know it's practically nightly. They'll have her on for like forty five minutes, and it's just a shouting match. Yeah. It's like what are you what are you doing? And, what does anybody get from that? And it, I mean, we know that Fox News is a. Uh, um, Happy to be the propaganda outlet for the Republican Party and the what? Trump administration. They just report. We decide. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <yeah. laughs> uh, but, you know, when with these other networks have these known liars on to say things that we all know are not going to be true, like they're also helping in the propaganda efforts. What's the point? Yeah. I mean, ratings, I guess. I. It's Is dumb. it really worth it? Is it? I mean, you know, sacrificing our entire democracy. I don't know. Uh... Yeah, but you got that my pillow account, so <laughs> right. I guess it all balances out. So I would love to talk about another story that's sort of a good news, bad news kind of story. Good news: um, Democrats in the House yesterday uh, voted overwhelmingly, unanimously, for the Protecting Americans with Pre-existing Conditions Act of 2019. Guess what that bill does? It protects Americans with pre-existing conditions. And the reason that they're passing this bill is because Donald Trump is trying like hell to gut the Affordable Care Act that protects pre-existing conditions or people with pre-existing conditions. Uh, and one of the ways that he's done that is he's been trying to um, <clears throat> encourage states to sell these junk health insurance plans that weaken protections and don't have to actually meet all of the requirements that Obamacare requires. The great thing about Obamacare is that um, insurance companies used to be able to charge you hundreds of dollars for nothing. Like, you have insurance, you get a card you can put in your wallet, and that's about it. If you get sick, if you have to go to a doctor, if you need, you know, any kind of medication, that's not covered. Obamacare says, yeah, you can't do that. If you have insurance, the insurance has to cover the, the bare minimum of things, including people who have pre-existing conditions. So good news. Democrats passed this bill in the House to try to protect the most popular part of Obamacare that everybody loves. Everybody loves it so much that even the Republicans are running around pretending they love it, too. Bad news. Almost every single Republican voted against it. And Republicans have decided that even the issue of protecting pre-existing conditions, um, even that issue that they say they care about is partisan to them. And so they there were four Republicans who voted for it. The rest of them voted against it and they all stood up and they all gave speeches about blah, blah, blah. We don't like it. Um, Mitch McConnell, who has openly bragged that he's the grim reaper, uh, probably won't hold a vote on it. And so this bill is not likely to end up on the president's desk for signature. And if it does, he says he's going to veto it. But hey, at least Democrats are trying to protect people with pre-existing conditions. Maybe he meant the Grim Reaper in the good way. Mitch McConnell <laughs> never means anything good in the good way. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah call me an optimist. Uh, it, ha it happens a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is the kind of bill that you would think it shouldn't even be necessary in the first place, right? Because we have a law on the books that the Supreme Court has upheld twice that says insurance companies can no longer deny coverage or charge premiums to people who had a hangnail in 1984. But because Trump is trying to gut Obamacare, 
And he's not even good at that. I mean, what kind of president has control of the White House, the House and the Senate and still can't do something that his party has been aggressively working on for a decade? Donald Trump. Um, But so he's, you know, trying to back end it by suing to get Obamacare overturned. So, you know, Democrats are trying to protect the things that they can protect and make sure that insurance companies aren't allowed to sell you this junk insurance. Guess what? You're saving money. Guess what? It's not going to do anything for you. And Republicans can't even agree to that. Amazing to me that they can't even do that. So good news, great bill passed. Bad news, probably going to die anyway. Thank you, Grim Reaper. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Hello, welcome to The Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I'm the executive editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. My first guest here with us today, Mark Greenblatt. Mark is the senior national investigative correspondent at Newsy. Um, I'm going to warn you, Mark is here to depress the hell out of all of us, but (laughs) there's a happy ending, so it's okay. Um, Mark, you've been doing some really important work on a very tragic subject. Please bring the crowd down. Well, <laughs> thanks so much. That's what, what a wonderful opportunity to, to be here and start off with that. But I'm going to yeah. try to at least start serious. But again, as you say, right. we, there is some good news there, here. Stick with, stick with it so for the happy ending. So, so yeah. So for you know the better part of a little bit more than a year, um, my team at Newsy, along with ProPublica and Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, has been digging into the topic of sexual assault in a way that really hasn't been done before. And what, what it is that we found is that police agencies across the country have really been masking uh, the success rate that they've had at solving uh, rape cases. And the way that we found that is we we went to the nation's 100 largest police agencies and we said, give us your data that shows how often you actually solve these crimes. And and we wanted to drill down into a, a different layer of information than what the FBI even knows about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the FBI, it turns out, is only is only told something very simple about the, the success rate of, of police at solving crimes. And that's that's how often they quote unquote clear a crime. And and when you clear a crime, police agencies will go before their city councils, uh, uh, their bosses, the public, and they'll they'll essentially claim success. They'll say, look, you know, uh, we're doing really great. It's a great measure of our success because we have a very high uh, quote unquote clearance rate. But what we figured out was that in many police agencies across the country, when it comes to rape, what that clearance rate means is uh, something that can be actually quite deceptive. Uh, For instance, take the city of Austin. In 2016, they claimed they had a, uh, and they actually did have a 51% uh, clearance rate. Uh, And they they, they batted down criticism from their own city council uh, at the police department level uh, when they were trying to figure out, well, are you solving crimes enough? And they said, we are. We've got this really high clearance rate. Well, well, yeah. Assume that I I know nothing. I I would think if they're saying 51 percent clearance rate, like 51 percent of the rape cases that come to them, they figure it out, check it off, say we have resolved this case. Check it off, solved, you know, case, case. And and there's some, you know, the inference here, uh, city leaders uh, have, have since told us is that they thought they were being told. We've really gotten justice in 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 51 percent of these cases, at least at the police level. Okay. And and what we figured out is that that's that's just uh, you know it's really a charade. Uh, in that it, in that what um, what was really happening there was only about a third of those cases were actually leading to taking uh, a rapist off the streets. And, and in all the rest of the cases, two thirds of those cases, uh, they they really were were actually leaving someone on the streets that they they would claim. 
that they had probable cause to arrest, but they would leave him on the streets and then claim to the public that they, quote unquote, cleared the case. And they did this through this very technical loophole that not a lot of people have heard about yet, which is called an exceptional clearance, uh, which which sounds uh, exceptional in some ways. We um, did such a good job on this case. I mean, that's what I would think. It sounds, you know, it sounds it sounds like that. But unfortunately, it's it's um, it's it's something that the FBI sort of allows in a very uh, intended to be used in a very rare form uh, where where police really, for instance, might have actually solved a crime. Um, but they really can't make an arrest because maybe the suspect is uh, dead or, uh, you know, maybe they're in a North Korean jail and uh, Kim Jong-un does not want to uh, extradite that person. So the police could make the arrest, but for some reason outside their control, they, they couldn't do this. And, and what we basically found was Austin and many other police agencies were, were really claiming this uh, type of clearance to, to essentially boost their, their, their success rates to the public. So, so they're saying we've solved the case. <clears throat> And you think that that means that there's some kind of justice there, but there's absolutely no justice. There's there's no justice. And in fact, very sadly, what we found was in cases uh, like one that we tracked out of Baltimore County, Maryland, uh, not only would the perpetrator, uh, alleged perpetrator, be left on the streets, but we, we tracked this guy named Brian Kind, who had been investigated very deeply for uh, having sex with a, a young girl uh, who was 13 years old. Uh, and police had a trove of evidence against him, including text messages and email receipts, sort of emails and motel receipts sort of showing um, uh, a sexual relationship, evidence of that. Uh, and they end up dropping the case. Um, they, they end up uh, clearing the case exceptionally, uh, making themselves actually look better to the public in their clearance rate. But they leave this guy, Brian Kind, on the streets. And so um, very sadly, uh, we then picked his trail up in Wisconsin, uh, where he again repeated this 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 crime was arrested there and uh, and 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 it's um it's it's very unfortunate. So in your reporting on this, you know, you would obviously reach out to these police departments and say, explain this. I mean, what 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 is their defense for saying yes, we have solved this case, but we haven't done anything about it? Well, look, their defense is that uh, they're doing everything, uh, you know, on the up and up. Uh, you know, for instance, we talked to the police chief again. I'll go back to the city of Austin. We had a lot. We've had a lot of dialogue there. Uh, and at first he said, look, you know, everything's fine here. There's nothing to see. Go, you know, why, go look over there because there's there's you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, and 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 really was very defensive at first uh, when we first started our, this investigation. Well, what sense has happened there is that um, you know the, the the public reporting and the light that uh, our team brought to this led the city council to put pressure on the police department to say, look, you know, we're, we're a progressive city in Austin, and we we just want to know the truth about what's really happening here. So uh, so they put pressure on them. The mayor came in and, and and said, look, let's let's get to the bottom of this. They brought the state of Texas in. They did an audit, and they found that in more than a third of the cases, uh, the city of uh, Austin was was clearing. Uh, that, that were reviewed by auditors, more than a third of the cases turned out to be improperly cleared. And so that kicked off just a wave of, uh, of, of reform efforts that have been pushed by city council and that have now spread actually across the entire state of Texas. So here, I mean, is this a practice that is used for other crimes? It is. It is. You're you're allowed. And, 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 and the FBI has this thing called the Uniform Crime Report, which is it's intended to uh, to essentially standardize the way that police agencies all across the country in every community will report crimes. And, and the important thing here, why this matters, is that 
you know, we need to know in our communities, are they safe? We need to have a way to measure that. And, and as laymen, because, you know, you and I, we wake up in the morning and we're not we're not experts. We're not cops. We're not in this system. But we'd like to know how safe is our city. And so the the FBI has this thing that's supposed to give us some kind of standardized way to understand you know, the truth about that issue. And um, and they've set up a rule that, that allows these police agencies in the area where they're getting measured on how effective they are at solving um, at solving crimes. They don't want to sort of punish the police agency that really has solved a crime, but just can't can't arrest, you know, as I say, like a dead person. So sure. uh, so it's there for all crimes. You're allowed to, quote unquote, exceptionally clear a crime. Um, but, uh, you know, sadly, because there's not a lot of light on on whether on, on how how police agencies are are actually clearing these cases, whether they're rapes or other cases or, or other types of crimes. Uh, you just don't you don't get that picture unless you literally start filing Freedom of Information Act requests with with your local police uh, shop. And, you know, and I and I'll and I'll tell you, even when we did that as trained investigative reporters who do this every day, mm-hmm. you know, the vast majority of police agencies fought us uh, on this very issue. And uh, we had we had to sue uh, and go to litigation with one of them, uh, which is actually just wrapping up right now in New York City. Wow. Um, but it's um, but this is something you really have to fight for. It's not transparent information. And you looked at the the 100 cities. We looked at more. We went and filed information requests with more with with the 100 largest jurisdictions in the country. And, you know, we didn't get participation from uh, from all police agencies, but many of them we did. Uh, we've posted what we found on ProPublica uh, and also on Newsy.com. Uh, and um, and you're, so you can actually go to these places and see wherever you live, um, you know, what are the success rates? Is it possible right. that my police agency uh, ha- is claiming high success with solving rape, but uh, they, this is really built upon, you know, a lot of these quote-unquote exceptional clearances? So in all of the cities that you looked at, is this a practice that is pretty much everywhere? It's not everywhere. You know, I mean, everywhere is, you're allowed to exceptionally clear a case, but there is a disparity. And what we found is that there are there are places uh, that have really, 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 really high rates of, of exceptionally clearing uh, these rape cases. And there are places that are very, very um, honest. Uh, I would go ahead and, 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 and you know, and, and not using that um, that 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 this thing that's supposed to be the exception to the rule mm-hmm. um, as as really becoming the rule uh, for how they're they're clearing these crimes. So it it does matter where you live. It does matter the practices of your of your local cop shop. And that's that's why we're we're really pleased to be able to share some of this information transparently about at least what the the bigger police agencies are doing. Right. So okay. So we promise that there there's some good news in all of this. There is. Please, please, please give me the good news. Well, good news um, nationally is that the FBI right now is actually uh, at a very high level expediting some potential reforms to the entire National Uniform Crime Report. Um, and that's the, those are some of those reforms are coming out of this reporting where they're hoping to uh, be able to uh, make things more transparent and require more information out of all police agencies everywhere uh, that will help us all understand in, in more transparent form uh, more about the outcomes of crimes. In Texas, where this reporting really narrowed in on you know that, that one city that, uh, that had some issues, um, not only has the city council unanimously passed a resolution which has the potential to be one of the most um, serious looks, lookbacks on, on rape investigations uh, that, that's ever really happened in the country. Uh, they're going to go back and look through, open, uh, reopen the, the case books, at least to examine more than 2,000 uh, rape investigations. They're going to go back and talk to, um, 
talk to people about how was your experience with the police. Uh, and so it's not just a statistical issue, but they want to say, are we solving crimes? Uh, and and how are we how are we how are we interacting with victims? Are we making are we making this experience uh, one that's safe, or are we intimidating people? And and whatever they learn out of out of looking back through seven years worth of rape investigations, uh, they want to implement some best practices and some reforms in the city. And then at the state, this is sort of spread to the state level. And just this week, um, the uh, House uh, in in Texas passed unanimously by a vote of 146 to nothing. Uh, you know, Republicans and Democrats coming together uh, for once. It's amazing. Uh, they, <laughs> this is feel good. <laughs> they, 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 they're creating uh, an office, a task force out of the governor's office in Texas that's going to be funded. Uh, uh, the House would like to, to, to put $3 million towards uh, this uh, task force that will, will look at survivors of, of rapes and, and try to make sure that A, we, we're getting the right information about our real success rates, but B, that we actually are putting in practice, um, you know, best practices in investigations, in treating survivors well. Uh, and that's $3 million in, in that one piece of legislation. Uh, but this is part of a suite of legislation. Uh, Representative uh, Donna Howard out of uh, Austin, uh, who's a statewide lawmaker, who's on the Appropriations Committee, she says that this is only part of a suite of legislation that, um, you know, right now has $80 million in the next Texas budget uh, to uh, try to really, uh, really attack this problem statewide. And they hope that it'll become a model for the nation. So, I mean, I, I find that pretty encouraging because I think a lot of news that tends to come out of Texas when it comes to legislation is not good. Um, they do bad things in Texas. So the fact that the Democrats and Republicans alike have agreed, wow, this is such a bad problem. We should do something about it. Uh, sounds like they're they're taking your findings very seriously. Well, it, it's remarkable that 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 there's not any opposition to this sort of thing. I mean, it's um, you know, we, we started out the program this morning sort of talking about how you know, this is a challenging subject to talk about, you know, but the truth is you know, ra rape is, 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 is not really a, a partisan issue. Uh, you know, I haven't met, uh, uh, you, may, you may disagree with me, <laughs> <laughs> I can see you smiling, uh, but I haven't met, uh, you know, when you really get down to it, when there's, when there's a, a, a serious problem, um, you know, uh, I, I think that the idea about being transparent about how much we know about how safe our cities are, that's something that, that a lot of people, at least in Texas, on this issue uh, are coming together on. So I, I think that that's wonderful. Do you know if there are other cities and states that are looking at Texas and saying, oh, well, we can do that, too? Well, we do know that there are other cities uh, and jurisdictions that are, when challenged uh, with what's really happening underneath their, their numbers, uh, Prince William County, Virginia, for instance, uh, you know, we pointed out some, some problems there. Uh, uh, they went and looked at some of their, uh, the way that they're clearing these crimes, and they've since uh, made some reforms. Um, you know, uh, so there are people who are paying attention, and, and the, you know, the concept is this, you know, when, when I'm talking to leaders who are in Texas, who are in Austin, who are at the state level, uh, what they're saying is, look, we actually want to be a leader on this issue. And, you know, I, I was a reporter in, in Texas for eight years. I used to be an investigative reporter for uh, the CBS affiliate in Houston, Texas. And so uh, I can tell you there are uh, challenges on both sides of the aisle uh, in, in Texas sometimes in, in, <laughs> in uh, transparency. And there's some important stories that come out of there. But there are also times that that state has been a leader uh, and, and they're aiming for that to happen uh, in, in, in this case. So uh, let's talk about the story behind the story. When did you first start? How did you get the idea? Hey, we should look at this rape thing. 
it's it's an interesting story. So I, um, you know, uh, really was interested. I've done some some really honed in reporting on the area of criminal statistics and how they can sort of be manipulated in other areas. And I uh, partnered up with a, a colleague of mine named Mark Fahey uh, in my team. And we sort of were actually looking at something related to clearance rates that had nothing to do with where we ended up. We were, we were actually trying to figure out, uh, is there a disparity among uh, how crimes are solved uh, based off if you're black or white or Hispanic um, and um, Asian, whatnot. And and we studied that and we, we saw that, yes, indeed, there in some areas certainly uh, is a disparity on that. But we, we found this thing called an exceptional clearance along the way. And we said, you know, this is what the heck is this? Uh, it just it sounded weird. And we saw it happening a lot. And and so we got on the line with um, a, um, a, a professor uh, out at Arizona State University who had studied this issue uh, in, a, in one uh, small community, um, uh, not so small community, it was in Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> but in one community. The it, sleepy burb of Los Angeles. The, the sleepy, yes. tiny little city of Los Angeles. Um, I love Los Angeles. Um, they, you know, and, and she said, look, you know, this has never been done nationally. Uh, it would be great if someone would do it nationally. It's going to take a long time and a lot of resources. And we said, oh, well, what the heck? Why don't we why don't we give it a shot? Um, and, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm we, we started out with a small number of cities that we looked at and we saw the issue was was real uh, mm -hmm. and needed more light. And uh, our company uh, just decided to dig in and and we we widened our, our information requests. Incredible. So what's the best city? The best city, you know, uh, I it depends how you how you define what the best city is. I look at the best city as when it comes to this issue is how often are you truly what is what is your highest clearance rate? Because this isn't about the numbers per se or about being best measuring is maybe less the least deceptive. Um, you know, we're I, I would I would measure the best city as the the city that probably actually makes the most arrests, mm -hmm. actually you know puts handcuffs on. The highest number of, uh, of, of 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 people after there's been a report of a crime, uh, and so you can you can see that um, it's my uh, shameless uh, plug for if you go to newsy.com forward slash case cleared, uh, you can you can start reading some of this reporting, uh, and you can there's a link where you can you can pick it apart for yourself and I guess measure it in the way that you would want to measure it. Right. I mean, you know, in an ideal world. First, there would be no rape, obviously. But, you know, if there is, then they're going to catch all the rapists and they're going to arrest them and they're going to prosecute them and find them guilty. And the clearance rate will be 100 percent and it will be the real clearance rate. Right. But obviously that is not what happens. You know, you know, and, and, and in fairness to the police uh, in, in, in this uh, story, you know, I don't know that you would really necessarily truly want the 100 percent clearance rate, because that would mean that if there's an allegation that, that all the all the time that you would be sort of uh, just assuming it's true. And, and there are cases uh, they're in the very vast minority. Uh, I want to say that the criminologists that have studied this, mm -hmm. the very vast minority of cases, there are some cases where there really are false reports. Um, this is minuscule. Right. You know, in the, and is in the that so in that factors into the clearance rate, I presume, where they say we've determined that there's no rape here. Check the box. You know, if they actually determine that there is truly no rape, if they've done an investigation and they find that there's a false report, um, you know, I, I should say uh, that they if, they if they really know that, they, that this was a false report, they actually can take that that rape off off the books, uh, so to speak, and 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 and, and, and do something, you know, in another way. But 
you know, really there are a lot of cases. These are these are um, these are cases that we're finding that prosecutors don't like to take often because. You know, you, you hear them talk about the proverbial he said, she said cases. Sure. There's, Lack of physical evidence or that sort of thing. So so some prosecutors that like to have a high conviction rate want to only take the easiest cases. And that's on one hand. And on the other hand, you have the police that like to have a high clearance rate. And in order to do that, um, you know, uh, in some cities, they're, they're pulling some shenanigans. Uh, and this sort of converges at the end of the day, uh, very sadly, in many communities where they're, they're just not doing everything that they can uh, to go to bat for you when you go in and you say, I need help. Right. And, and that's what this is, you know, that's what this is really about. And, and the light that is coming on this now from the, the Texas uh, legislature, from, you know, the, the reform efforts that the city of Austin is doing that they're hoping will be a national model. Um, you know, when they really want to dig into these cases and say and, and find out how are these cases actually dropping out of the system? What do we need to do better as as sort of a community to uh, set up not only a safe way to talk to people after moments of high trauma, but to make sure that we're doing everything we can to actually investigate these cases, eventually prosecute them and bring justice. All right. So uh, the example that you gave of this, this the guy in Maryland um, who's raping a 13 year old. She obviously can't consent because she's 13. So, like, what happened there? Do, do they understand how they messed that up? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really crazy story where the the young girl um, uh, at one point cries, you know, testifies uh, to a detective in a place called Howard County, Maryland, uh, that yes, indeed, this sex happened. She she gives names, dates, places. The police in Howard County go and they, they go issue subpoenas and get the receipts at the motels right where she said, when she said it happened. There's these emails uh, back and forth that were very hard for me to read uh, where you can see this, very, this adult man who had groomed this girl, met her online, drove from Michigan uh, many hours, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, ha- end up having sex in this very seedy motel uh, uh, by a highway and, um, and, and ends up, you know, um, uh, there's, 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 the police make a lot of uh, headway. Well, what ends up happening is that that seedy motel was across county lines. So the, the, the relationship that the detective uh, had built with this young girl, a victim, um, was strained because they had to hand the case file over to Baltimore County Police. And so now all of a sudden you have a new police department, new faces, new people after you've already been traumatized and already had to go through the system. And, and, and you know, I can just say that the Baltimore County Police didn't have success in connecting with this young girl. And, um, and so the pressure was on her to decide whether or not you move forward or not. And they, you know, they... they and they didn't. <laughs> they didn't, and it goes, it's worse than that because they, they never even interviewed the, the perpetrator. They never went and checked. They never asked police in Michigan to go uh, check his computer or check to, get, to collect evidence that they could have collected that, 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 you know, uh, could have taken him off the streets if they would have found uh, what, what police in Wisconsin eventually did, which was pictures of, of, of him with uh, in compromising situations. So uh, hopefully because of the work that you and your team have done and you've helped bring to light a lot of the problems, I assume, not just the clearance rate, but, you know, focusing on, on the issue at large of rape cases that are not getting properly handled. Um, that we will start to see additional reforms like what's happening in Texas. So so I appreciate, again, that you came in to tell us some, you know, really depressing subject that actually shows 
that there's you know something good that can come out of the investigation that you've done. It, it, and thank it, you for bringing us this happy news. Mark. Look, look, I'm, I, I'm happy to do it, and I should say it's very rare for me uh, to ever you know really dig into issues like this. Uh, I need to give a plug for once to the federal government because they are acting fast on this. There's a, the Bureau of Justice Statistics wants this to be fixed, and and so there there really is a push to try to to try to get some fixes here. Thank God. Thank you for coming in, Mark. You can find Mark at Newsy. You can find him on Twitter at Greenblatt Mark. Yes, you got on it. Twitter. This thank you for coming in, and thank Bill you for your Brett amazing show. Work. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good morning. Welcome to The Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I'm the executive editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. We have two awesome guests coming up in the next hour. Very excited. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so... The president of the Philippines, we know he's a bad guy, a bad hombre, if you will. Uh, Duterte, Rodrigo Duterte, uh, he was giving a rally yesterday, and while he was speaking, <clears throat> a huge cockroach began climbing onto him. Not so, the onion. As This is not the onion. A cockroach climbed up his left shoulder... He was uh, giving a speech where he's endorsing different Senate candidates, and the person next to him, one of his staffers, noticed this and went and, like, swiped the cockroach off of his shoulder with a paper. It took him by surprise. He didn't realize what had happened, and they said, oh, there's a, there's a huge cockroach on you. And he goes, oh, it was clearly a liberal. It was clearly a liberal cockroach. Uh, but what a nightmare. Can you even imagine like if you were i, don't I can I don't and i'm horrible... just picturing like donald trump and yeah yeah anyway. i don't want to put a horrible thought <laughs> in your head but imagine you hosting the show and all of a sudden there's a cockroach climbing on your shoulder how would you react i'm not saying there is i'm not saying there is don't, nobody freak out nobody freak out if there is i would come in there and i would swat it off of you though you are a true gentleman i'm terrified of cockroaches <laughs> we used to call them palmetto bugs when i was growing up in south carolina and the difference is Palmetto bugs are the ones that can fly. Okay, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got the show. Yeah, it's yeah. We live in hell. We, we live in hell. Uh, hey, how about this? It's springtime. It's nice out. It feels really good. You start to feel the sun on your skin, except for in Minnesota, where Minnesota got some snow. They got an actual snowstorm. Uh, we're six weeks into spring. That is the latest snowfall in Minnesota. And the biggest snowfall in Minnesota this time of year in 117 years. 
but at least there's no global warming. Yeah, right. <laughs> Climate change, folks. It's here. Yeah. Minnesota is a lovely place for, like, I think three days out of the year, maybe? Yeah, I think that's fair. I remember uh, spending a couple days in Minnesota in, in the winter and thinking to myself, I get it. I understand why people leave here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wonderful. It was a great, I mean, the, the mini app is a great city. Great but city. Holy cow, was it brutal when it got it's cold. Extremely not okay to be snowing in the month of May. No, absolutely not. Hey, remember the name Valerie Plame? Um, yeah, CIA agent outed by Dick Cheney just because Dick Cheney is Dick Cheney. That's right, the back, one back. and only. <laughs> well, uh, she might be coming back to Washington, not to work for the CIA again, but because she wants to be a member of Congress. Yesterday, she announced that she is running uh, as a Democrat for the U.S. House seat that's being vacated by uh, Ben Ray Lujan, Democrat from New Mexico. He's going to be running for Senate. And so she is going to run for that seat. It should be pointed out she's been living in uh, Santa Fe uh, since she left behind all of the craziness of the mid-2000s with the the Dick Cheney scandal and all of that. Uh, So uh, she's going to make a run for it. And I say, go for it. You know... uh Happy to have a Democrat, of course. Uh, sure. For the kids out there who don't know, definitely Google Valerie Plame. I, the story of her career as a CIA agent being destroyed out of vengeance against her husband is like something out of a TV movie, and I, a really bad one. It really is amazing. When I saw this story, I saw her name, and I was like, oh, that's what has she been doing for the last couple of years? It was 2006 that this happened. It was 13 years ago. That everything went down with her and that and they Dick ruined Cheney. her life. Yeah, that they ruined her life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool, cool. This is the Bill Press Show. Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. I'm the executive editor at ShareBlue Media. You can find us at shareblue.com. My guest in now, very excited, Addie Baird. She is with Think Progress um, and has been covering some really interesting stories lately. So... There, there was a story that you wrote about, and it, it was in the news this week, so I'm just going to go I, right, right. Can I interrupt for just yeah. a second? We just have to say congrats to Addie, because <laughs> this is, this is going to be the last time on the show as a Think Progressor, as a TPer. You're yes. moving on to a, a different gig. Yes, I'm going to BuzzFeed. I'm going to be covering Congress, so I'll be on the Bill Press show just as much and just as often, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, no, hell, no, absolutely. Yeah, hell yeah. So we'll do this all over again, but with a slightly different Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so but that's very cool. Thank you. And Thanks. Congress, it, it's a lovely place filled with lovely people. I've always said that. <laughs> They're just slightly <laughs> less popular than cockroaches. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Um, Okay, so th- so this story is driving me totally crazy, and it might drive you crazy too. And and you've written about it. And um, Florida, Florida is a hell of a drug. Um, <laughs> so they had an incredible, horrible mass shooting in Florida a year ago, and there's been pressure in Florida to 
try to do something about gun violence. Like there's been pressure all over the country to do something about gun violence. And the Republicans who run Florida were like, yeah, we're totally on that by doing something that does not seem to me like a way to address gun violence in schools um, by putting more guns in schools. Can you explain like what? Sure. <laughs> I can try. Um, so basically, like you mentioned, the Parkland shooting was a little over a year ago. Um, and, and that really sparked a lot of um, energy and, um, you know, national conversation about gun violence and about gun control. And also sparked a conversation about teachers being armed in schools. Um so that is what Florida decided to do. Um, the Parkland survivors have really spoken out about the this bill um, and, you know, the fact that it makes them feel, well, I guess it's a law now. Um, it, it makes them feel unsafe. It's not what they were talking about when they were calling for more gun control um, and, and for, you know, responsible reactions to gun violence. Um, essentially, uh, last year, Florida passed a bill that would allow, um, it's it's complicated. I don't fully, you know, understand why the first bill was written the way it was. But essentially, if there was someone, if there was an employee at a school that had more than one role, if it was like a history teacher who was also a basketball coach, um, that person could be armed. Um, they have now expanded on that bill, and it's up to the districts. Um, the school district can decide whether or not they want their teachers to be able to be armed. Um, and at that point, um, teachers can then choose to carry firearms on campus. It re they require um, some training, but everything that we know about uh, teachers being armed armed, um, no matter how much training they have, no matter if they have one job or two with the school, no matter what, like what we know is that um, it will ultimately put students in more danger rather than keep them safe. And that is what Florida has decided to do. Okay, so I understand Florida is uh, controlled by the Republican Party and the Republican Party is controlled by the NRA. Is it really that simple? Like, did they pass a bill that that nobody thinks is a good idea other than, you know, the NRA and other you know organizations that advocate for more guns everywhere? Like, is that why they did it? I mean, do they have some reason? Do they have any study at all? Do they have any experts saying this is going to actually help with gun violence in our schools? No, no, no. Every reputable, you know, every reputable study about arming teachers comes to the same conclusion. Um, it will make schools more dangerous. Um, there was a really good New York Times story digging into one thing in particular, which is the inherent biases uh, of every person um, become really dangerous when you are carrying a gun. Um, and there's a lot of concern that teachers could injure, uh, you know, or kill black and brown students um, in a way that is that people are not really thinking about um, and and that but we also have a lot of information and studies about implicit biases and um, you know it's really to, the basic answer to your question is no the the 
Um, Florida legislature is controlled by Republicans. Um, Ron DeSantis is the Republican governor of Florida um, and the Republican Party in Florida, um, you know, even more than than the Republican Party across the country um, has some loyalty, loyalty to the NRA. I remember um, I went to see PAC about two I mean, a year and a half ago at this point, it was right after the Parkland shooting and the NRA was there and they had made that decision already. But the thing to do was to arm teachers. And that was the message that they pushed at CPAC for the entire weekend. Um, And now here we are. It's law in Florida. So, (laughs) I mean, it's the kind of thing that that even if you haven't read any of the studies and you're just, you know, a moderately thinking person, the answer to gun violence is more guns. Just that just doesn't make sense to me. I also think about all of the teachers I had in school and I'm trying to think of like any of them being armed and it just kind of terrifies me like the math teacher who would wear the mismatched socks but I definitely want that guy armed so like are there any proposals in Florida to try to reduce gun violence that are not about more guns I mean absolutely there the the Democrats in um, the legislature have introduced a, a fleet of bills that range from uh, you know banning uh, assault style weapons in the state um, you know uh, the range of sort of the uh, the gun violence solutions that get talked about a lot um, by uh, you know gun control advocates and um, Democrats uh, writ large, um, but they don't go anywhere. Um, these bills don't pick up any traction on the right, um, and you need Republicans in Florida to get anything done. Um, your point is a really interesting one about the fact that thinking back on your own teachers and imagining them with guns makes you nervous. Um, a little bit. A lot of the kids at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which was the school um, that the, the site of the Parkland shooting, have come out and said the same thing, that they do not feel comfortable uh, with their teachers being armed. And that is just really remarkable. The um, sheriff of Bard County, which is where the uh, which is the county that Parkland is in, came right. out and said that he doesn't support arming teachers. Um, and, you know, whenever we talk about guns, I like to remind people, um, you know, I grew up with guns. I grew up in a family with firearms. And I, you know, I like to remind people that the NRA doesn't actually support even most gun owners. Like the majority of gun owners do not align with the sort of like cult of the gun that the NRA puts forth. And that is, I think, notable as well, because Florida is um, it's a swing state, but it gets a reputation for being this like kooky conservative place and while that is certainly true (laughs) um this is not actually what anyone wants and and i mean anyone is a little bit hyperbolic but it's what like widely um you know survivors of these shootings law law enforcement officials teachers researchers um say this is not a good idea i think that's a fair point and it should be said but also, considering that this is the week that when Donald Trump was giving a rally in Panama City and one person shouted that the solution to stop people from coming over the border is to shoot them. Yeah. And he had a hearty chuckle at that. Oh, he thought yeah. it was yeah, a panic. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
the point that you raise that the NRA doesn't actually represent anybody, not even gun owners, I think is the one of the most important points in any conversation about legislation regarding guns, because it isn't really a partisan issue because even Republican voters and even members of the NRA want to have some kinds of restrictions on guns. So on this particular measure, is there any support for it? Like, who besides the NRA wants this? There, I mean, again, the answer is is basically nobody. Um, Republican lawmakers like it. People who um, have made the, the Second Amendment their issue like it. Um, people who line the pockets of Republican lawmakers across the country like it. Um, and gun manufacturers love it. Right. And that is, um, you know, the other the other thing about the NRA, whenever we talk about the NRA, the NRA is not a trade organization. It's not a hobby organization. It's not a um, it's a manufacturer's organization dedicated to keeping capitalism alive and making sure that gun owners um, are sort of the, the cover is gun owners for um, a, a long racket of protecting gun manufacturers. So just to be completely clear about this, it's not as if the majority of voters in Florida are crying out, please arm our teachers. No, absolutely not. Um, but hey, Florida, it's Democracy, also the baby. state that has decided to overrule the will of the voters in terms of allowing ex-felons to vote because... Yes. Because it's Florida, they just don't care what the voters think, right? Yes, this is um, an issue very, very close to my heart that I've covered for a long time. Um, I was in Florida in January for Amendment 4 implementation, and I'm now working on a story going back to a lot of the people that I went with to the county offices and, you know, watched them register to vote for the first time and watched them cry as they held their children, um, who now aren't going to be able to do that um, because of the, the you know, for, for anyone who hasn't followed this story, um, last November, uh, Florida voters approved Amendment 4, which was a uh, ballot initiative that re-enfranchised um, people with felony convictions. Um, that was more than a million people in Florida. One in five African-American uh, residents of Florida was unable to vote um, because of a felony conviction. Um, obviously, everything that we know about the criminal justice system is that it disproportionately um, punishes black and brown people. Um, and thus, this uh, long ban, this Jim Crow era ban on people voting um, who have felony convictions was disproportionately affecting um, black people, excuse me, in Florida. And um, the legislature decided um, that they needed to, they call it implementing language. Um, everyone who I, um, you know, have ever talked to who really worked on the original ballot initiative says that that was unnecessary, that it was self-executing, that there was no need for the legislature to step in. Um, and the legislature, of course, much like we're talking about with this gun stuff, um, decided to decided to get in on this. Um, and they the the language that they implemented added a new provision that had nothing to do with the amendment itself that said um you are not able to register to vote until you have paid off all fines and fees um 
if you have a felony conviction, the fines and fees that rack up of mm-hmm. your lawyer, your um, your restitution payments, your and they ra- they're tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, this so you you would theoretically have to pay a hundred thousand dollars to be able to vote. Oh yes, easily. So this Which is bill has now passed the House and the Senate. It's headed to DeSantis's desk. He's expected to sign it. Um, and what it's essentially going to do is create two classes of voters, people who can afford to vote and people who can't afford to vote. Dumb question. Was this anywhere in the amendment that the majority of Florida voters actually voted for? Not a dumb question. No dumb questions. No, it was not. The language in the amendment itself was really clear. It was really simple. Um, the language had, uh, you know, once you complete the terms of your sentence. And that means uh, you serve your time in prison and you finish um, any parole. There's nothing, the terms of your sentence in that sense don't include these fines and fees. Um, so, you know, people that I've talked to, I've, I've worked, you know, reported on this issue for a while. There's going absolutely to be litigation over this because it's blatantly um, the precedent, especially on creating two classes of voters, uh, you know, wealthy voters and less wealthy voters who mm-hmm. cannot afford to pay tens of thousands of dollars to vote. Um, the precedent is there. You can't do that. But litigation takes years these this this is this is going to keep people from voting um from participating in basic democracy um and it's just really really devastating another question not a dumb question brilliant question obviously <laughs> she only asked the best question i do it's true um why why are they doing this if the if the amendment doesn't say and we need the legislature to step in and determine the terms under which somebody can get their right to vote back. Why are they doing this? The Republican Party has a long history of keeping people from the ballot box um, and amendment for, like I mentioned, reenfranchised more than a million people in Florida. Um, like I said, also, uh, what we know about the criminal justice system is that it disproportionately affects black and brown people. Um, we know that black and brown voters tend to skew, you know, not a monolith by any means, but tend to skew more liberal. Um, and so it makes Republicans in Florida very nervous um, to really actually let everyone in Florida who should be able to vote, vote. Um, and, you know, uh, stepping in, doing this implementing language, adding this fines and fees provision is a great way to keep people from voting. And that is what Republicans want. So it's just a power grab. Absolutely. It's a blatant power grab. And we we have definitely seen a trend of power grabs by the Republican Party in states across the country, especially since the election last year where many of them were voted out of office or the power of the legislature changed or of the governor's office changed. And so they're coming up with new crazy rules and laws to say, no, 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 we still want to keep our power that the voters just took away from us. So new law that we get to do that. Um, So the only way to solve this is going to be to sue and spend, you know, years litigating this. Yes. 
And all of the people who the voters of Florida said, you know what, we actually want you to be able to vote. They're just going to have to not. Yes. The other really kind of important thing here is that there is no central way for voters in Florida, for people who have felony convictions in Florida to check what they owe. There is no central system so to, to be able to see that you owe X amount of money. That means <laughs> I can see your brain running. Worse. I can see your brain running through this. I'm doing some yes. quick math. That means um, this is also a trap for people. This the chilling effect here. If you don't know, if you're not sure, um, if you've paid all of your fines and fees, why would you go register to vote? That would put you in a position after someone who served your time, who finished your sentence, to potentially be committing unwillingly another crime. The chilling effect here is really scary. And also the uh, long, years long fake narrative about voter fraud can become very real. It is a trap. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand how this works. You get out of prison, you've done your time, you believe that the voters of Florida gave you the right to vote. You go to register to vote and it's not there isn't somebody there saying, I'm sorry, you can't register to vote because you owe money. No, there is no when you go to register to vote, um, you know, and, and when I went to, you know, when when Amendment 4 was officially implemented in Florida and went with some people to vote, um, you know, you walk into the office and they give you some paperwork and you fill it out and you give it back to them and they give you a sticker and they send it off. The way that Amendment 4 was supposed to technically be implemented was that the state would stop sending um, information about people who had felony convictions to the counties so that once, you know, once the, the paperwork was all filled out in the past, if you were not able to vote at that point, uh, you know, there, it would bring up some sort of red flag once it starts to get put into the system. Um, at this point, again, it would take you filling out the paper, sending it off, getting it to the state for any red flag to come up. But you could also, you know, like there, like there isn't it's not clear here how this would be handled. So a person could then maybe not get flagged, not get the information, go to register to vote. They're not someone legally at this point able to vote. Then they feed into this fake voter fraud narrative that the right loves to push um, when, you know, the fact of the matter is last November they were reenfranchised by 60 percent of the people of Florida. And there and there's no there's no like website like can I vote dot com for no. them to plug in their name. No. Because the fines and fees in Florida and this is another huge problem are a revenue like like they are revenue for the state of Florida. And so that is the other part of this is that the court systems make the state money. And it is in the state's interest to make sure that people have to pay these tens of thousands of dollars. But the court system is also spread out. You've got municipal courts, you've got federal courts, you've got state, you know, your state Supreme Court, you've got all sorts of, you've got your, your county level, you've got your, so everything is spread out. Um, not everything is in the same place. You can look up individual places, um, as far as I understand, but there's no central way for you to go, okay, I owe 
$50,000. And I can see that all laid out here. Why, Florida? Why? And the other thing that's really sad is that Florida is just the tip of the iceberg here. Florida is uh, gets a lot of attention um, on the uh, returning citizen reenfranchisement front um, mm-hmm. because of how many people Amendment 4 reenfranchised. But there are states all across the country. Iowa does not allow returning citizens to vote. Um, Kentucky does not allow returning citizens to vote. Virginia does not allow returning citizens to vote, though they have found ways to, to get around it um, mm-hmm. in certain ways. Um, Florida, all of these other states take cues from Florida. So other states that currently don't allow uh, ex-felons to vote but might be considering something like a a ballot initiative so that the voters can say, hey, actually, we want our fellow citizens to vote, might feel discouraged watching what's happening in Florida because they think, what's the point? Even if we pass it, the Republican legislature might decide to tell us to go screw ourselves. Well, and also the Republican legislature will look at what the Florida legislature did and go like, oh, we know how to handle this. Is there any good news here? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I wish I could say there was. I can say Look, that there our last are... guest talked about rape and he had good news. So you've oh, got to give man. me something. <laughs> um, let's see. The good news is that the people who are working on this issue in Florida are some of the smartest, most dedicated people I've ever gotten to work with in my time covering voting rights. And the, the attorneys um, who will fight this are great attorneys and precedent is on their side. How's that? I'll take it. Okay. I'll take it. You know, and the other thing that occurs to me, let's say I'm a voter in Florida, God forbid, and I vote for something and the legislature tells me to literally go screw myself with my vote that I and my fellow citizens voted for, I am less likely to want to support those people who are telling me to go screw myself. Is is there any chance at all that there will be a backlash from the voters in Florida saying, hey, we're telling you what to do and you're not doing what we've told you to do. We actually don't want you in this job anymore. I think there certainly could be. Um, you know, the, the thing about Amendment 4, the thing that makes it one of the most like beautiful, exciting things um, that I have ever gotten to cover is that it really had enormous bipartisan support in Florida. It passed with 61% of the vote in Florida. Like it so had, this wasn't a 50 plus no, one. No, no. This thing. was it, it requires 60% because it's a constitutional amendment. It passed with flying colors. It had the backing of the Koch brothers. It had like this is something that people on both sides of the aisle, of the aisle can rally around is that once you have served your time you deserve to be, and I, I'm of the belief that while you're serving your time, you also get to, you should be able to be in the system. But that's a, a little bit of a different question. Um, this this question of Amendment 4 was widely supported on both sides of the aisle. Um, and, you know, it it is certainly, I would hope, um, you know, something that, that voters step back and say, like, these people did not do what we asked them to do. Um, and and it, it is an enormous group of voters that asked them to do this. Uh, not unlike the gun issue, this is Absolutely. actually not a partisan thing. It's Absolutely. a voters versus the people supposedly representing them, but not actually listening to them issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, one of the other interesting things about this is that we're talking about this in the terms of like, you know, the legislature isn't listening to them. But the whole point 
of Amendment 4 as a ballot initiative was to basically say, like, we don't need you. We don't need the legislature. Like, voters in Florida, activists in Florida asked the legislature for this for years. Um, this has been something that uh, the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition in particular has been working on for years. Um, and finally, they went, you know what? If you're not going to do it, we will. And and to have the legislature step in now, activists have basically said, we don't believe that you're supposed to be here, um, but you're here now, so we have to work with you. Um, and that's the other sort of hard part about all of this is no one wanted them to be a part of this in the first place. Like I said, Florida's a hell of a drug. It sure is. Um, thank you. Uh, you can find Addie at Addie Sue on Twitter, um, at Think Progress right now, at BuzzFeed soon to come. Stick around for our next segment. Careful drinking that coffee. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. Hi, welcome back to the Bill Press Show. I am not Bill Press. I am your guest host, Kylie Joy Gray. What? I know, crazy, right? I'm Bill Press. <laughs> Here I thought this whole time that we I'm had eating Press my Chobani cherry yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, where's my Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Is ben, what I want to know. So, for those of you for real Bill Press heads uh, <laughs> who have been listening for a long time, Kylie was on the show when we got a surprise appearance. By uh, from from Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's, who just showed up and decided he wanted to do the show, but he brought us cream. a bunch of ice cream that we ate for breakfast on air. Yeah. The things that have been consumed in this room before ten a.m. Yeah. are like, yeah, they range in legality. Ice cream, and... beers, weed, dabs. <laughs> Who's a friend dabs. of the show who will bring us bourbon? Oh, you know what? John Yarmouth brought us bourbon one time. Oh, Congress yeah, he bourbon. would. He's Come the on, head man. The, he's the Hook head of the up. bourbon uh, caucus. <laughs> he brought us in uh, some Kentucky bourbon one day. All right. I, I want a guest host when we're having him on. Let's let's talk about all of the vices that we have indulged in on the show. I mean, I did, me and, and my roommate did, what was it? Did we do Labor Day? Is that what our excuse uh, was? I think it was, was it for our Christmas programming? We taped some stuff for Christmas. Maybe it was Labor Day. We did beers. It might have, yeah, we had beers in this room, and then Rebecca and I went to work. We drank like five beers. Yeah, Rebecca and I were like- We sampled and five And this beers. is a morning clear, show. We sampled yes. five beers. And we didn't drink a full five beers. Right. Yes. And then it was it was like before 10 o'clock and then we like rolled up to work and we were like here to do our job now. Like it was chaotic. <laughs> so the ice cream is pretty mellow. Oh, for actually. sure. Yeah. Um. OK, so let's switch gears and stop talking about all of the reasons Florida is bad. <laughs> Um, you recently wrote about the 2020 uh, Democratic primaries and specifically about how they get 21 candidates and counting on a debate stage. Um, how, how are they going to do that? Well, the answer is they're not going to do that. And that is what is creating this like weird drama right now. Um so there are two ways to qualify for the debates. Um, you need to get at least 1% in three qualified polls, or you need to get 65,000 individual donors. Um, the DNC also said a few months ago that they would cap it at 20 candidates, um, which at the time I was like, okay, like that's not going to be an issue until it is an issue now that we have more than 20 candidates in the primary. So... Um, they have 
uh, there was a, an official memo yesterday, and there had been a little bit of reporting about this before. But basically, um, they, you know, once they need to kind of narrow the field, they are going to point to, you know, focus on people who have hit the 65,000 donor mark. Um, notably, um, Kirsten Gillibrand has not yet hit that mark. Um, senator from New York, not a nobody. Not a nobody, a senator from New York. Um uh, Cory Booker just barely hit that mark. Um, Julian Castro uh, just barely hit that mark. Um, Governor Hickenlooper has not hit that mark. Um, Governor Inslee has not hit that mark. Like these established politicians have not gotten 65,000 individual donors. Pete Buttigieg has. Andrew Yang, who some people listening to this probably have never heard of, has. Marianne Williamson, Oprah's spiritual advisor, has. I thought I was Oprah's spiritual advisor. <laughs> um, Peter, I think that would be a fun twist. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Are you going to run for president next, Peter? Uh, sure, why not? Sure, why not? It's open to anybody. <laughs> literally it, Literally anybody. anyone. Yeah. Um, well, I actually had I was in, in, indulging in some conspiracy theories about who could like get on the debate stage, right? Because like the criteria is very clear, but it's not like you have to declare your candidacy or anything like that. You just have to get like X amount of donors, and anybody could sort of hack into it. I mean, I think you do uh, have to declare your candidacy. Okay, fair. Okay, fair. <laughs> but but even still, I mean, that's okay. Fine. I declare I'm running for president. Done. You heard it okay. here first. Breaking so, news on the Bill Press Show. Let me get my donors, and then I'm there. I like We're that We're going to disrupt the presidency. I mean, you and Andrew Yang and the rest of the field. Yang Yang, who's been in studio. He sat right there in that chair. Well, well. So yeah. here's a terrible uh, party trick. Can you name all oh, I have 21 candidates? I, I probably could. I, to to my horror and shame, discovered that I can. I think I can. And I'm intentionally not following any of the news on any of them because I'm like, whatever. If your name is not Donald Trump, I am all in for you. Uh, and I sat at dinner a couple weeks ago and was asked to name them. And I, dear God, I could, including Marianne. I am so sorry. Yeah, it was a little embarrassing. Dark around here, and hey, now we're gonna get Bill De Blasio in the race, baby. <laughs> Just throw him onto that stack of white beef that's getting out of the end, you know, like Seth Moulton, Tim Ryan, all these guys. That... Listen, none of those guys killed a groundhog and a deer. So <laughs> fair. That's fair. something to run on. Maybe Grassley will get in as a demo. Oh sure. Um, we are now joined by one of my favorite people in the world, Erica Sacken. Communications director at Planned Parenthood, my former boss. We spent a wonderful, lovely week in Cleveland, Ohio, together for the Republican National Convention that traumatized me, and I still have nightmares. Good times. Sorry about that. Speaking of getting dark, (laughs) we were just talking about Florida. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Not the only state doing terrible things to people. No. Um. There are other states doing terrible things. I don't even know which one to start with. Why don't we start with Alabama? Oh, Alabama. Tell us why Alabama is also a (laughs) hell of a drug, Erica. (laughs) Well, uh, Alabama, like a uh, terrifying number of other states in the newest, latest, worst trend ever, um, is actually moving towards passing one of the most extreme bans that we've seen on abortion uh, ever. It would ban abortion outright. It would put doctors in jail for life, 
for performing an abortion. Uh, and it looks like it may pass. Okay, so I know that there's been some debate in Alabama about whether they'll allow any exceptions Mm -hmm. at all. That, okay, you are a stone-cold murderer and you're going to jail for 100 bazillion years if you do this thing, unless... So where are we on the unless? Are there any exceptions in in Alabama? You know, the debate is still going on, uh, and we're not going to see vote at this point until next week. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, I think we shouldn't be getting distracted by these individual bills, which are terrible, right? Like, they are terrible. Um, Georgia has banned abortion at six weeks, uh, and it's not the only one. Ohio has banned abortion at six weeks. Kentucky has banned abortion at six weeks. Mississippi has banned abortion at six weeks. Uh, and so I think we we are looking at uh, what is no longer even a veiled attempt to overturn Roe versus Wade uh, and directly challenge it with Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. So, I mean, so that's the thing that that I think is um, maybe some people don't quite understand, like, but you can't ban abortion because Roe v. Wade says like it's right there in right. black and white. You can't ban abortion. Right. And so they're doing this thing that is like blatantly unconstitutional. They know, right? Like they've read Roe v. Wade. They know that it's oh, unconstitutional. They know and they are saying it, right? Like it, it is it, the interesting thing, interesting in like a very morbid way, is that, you know, we're really seeing a lot of these um, abortion restrictions move to just banning abortion. Like they're not pussyfooting around with like trap laws that like seem like they might be medically necessary but actually are meant to make abortion health centers close down. They're not like meant to give women a like 10 million year waiting period um, so they could quote unquote reconsider uh, what the decision that they've probably already thought a lot about and made. Um, They're just saying no. No abortion. We know it's illegal. We know this is unconstitutional. And we are doing it because we want to bring a challenge to Roe versus Wade. Well, and one of the things that's really interesting about this to to me, interesting, like you said, in a really like morbid (laughs) way, is that, you know, this has been a slow creep. And people like yourself have been warning everybody as, you know, it's been, oh, it's a 20-week ban. Oh, it's a 12-week ban. Oh, it's a six-week ban. Most women don't know their pregnant at six weeks Um, and you know a six week ban essentially bans abortion but it's not enough you know like the 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 yesterday ban ban is coming soon the point and and like you're saying the point is to challenge Roe versus Wade like that is the inherent point of all of this and and to to overturn it it's not like they're confused well Roe v. Wade is a bad law and we just need some clarification from the courts about what it means they want Brett Kavanaugh to like pop open a beer and set Roe v. Wade on fire. I, I hate to interrupt, but I, I really must say I think this needs a man's opinion. Do <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us what we, we ladies should ladies, 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 let me just explain this to you. Uh, no, but you know, you know, one of the things that that is really kind of dark and depressing about this, among many things, that are dark things. and depressing, <laughs> is this is being put into law by men who just don't understand how periods work. <laughs> Right. Or pregnancies. Yeah. Or pregnancies or, or like or how the a woman's parts. body or anything right. works. But once again, that's part of the point. Like, so, yeah. like yeah, part yeah. of the point is like if you had to sit and consider uh, you know, uh, you know, a period or a, you know, a, how a pregnancy actually works, um, this would all fall apart. Right. Well, this is like that's the thing about the six week bands too that I think 
why you shouldn't really call them anything other than just a ban on abortion. Right. Six weeks, dep- based on how they kind of count the weeks when you're pregnant, is just two weeks after your missed period. Mm-hmm. And as anyone with a period knows, periods can be unpredictable. You know, they can they can skip over uh, a couple of weeks. They can be late. You can not have one, them one month. And so this is really what this means is that for most women, you've already timed out of when you could access abortion by the time you've realized you're pregnant. Yeah. Right. Um, let's not even talk about the time it takes to schedule an appointment. If you live in a state with waiting periods, if you don't live near a, a health center that provides abortion, like there's already time built in to actually get this health care. So, the, so you know, I joked about the yesterday ban, but that basically is what they're doing. Oh, sorry, according to all of our laws, you could have had an abortion last week, but you just missed mm-hmm. it. Sorry. Yeah. I um there was a really good I don't remember where I read it but there was a, a woman who wrote a really good uh, who got an abortion and outlined that she has a really consistent period which is not true for everyone's body um and that she knew the day after her period didn't come that she was pregnant and knew she wanted to get an abortion uh she lived in New York um and went and made an appointment um and you know by the time she was actually able, in New York by the time she was able to actually get an abortion, she was more than six weeks pregnant, quote unquote. And that really, to me, brought to the forefront the fact that this is New York. This is a woman whose body is really, really consistent, who knew one day after missing her period. Um, imagine in a state that um, makes it even more difficult to get an abortion um, with a body that's not as consistent um, like most of our bodies are like that was really remarkable I thought that that you know and and like you're saying it basically a six week ban doesn't doesn't mean anything it's It's a a ban it's a ban yeah and and so we have a number of states in, in different parts of the country that are outright saying we want to overturn Roe v. Wade and this is how we think we can do it now that we've got, you know, Brewski McRapey on the Supreme Court. Um, I mean, I, I, I want there to be good news. And every guest we've had on the show today is talking about really depressing stuff. And I'm like, Give me some good news. Thanks for listening to the Wet Blanket Radio Hour, where we're just going to throw terrible news your way. Well, I feel like I always bring really terrible news, but I have some good news. Yay! Um, I always try. I got to try. You you have to find the brightness in this world at this point. Um, So the first thing is that these bans are not in effect yet. And I, I actually think that's really important to share. Our Georgia Health Center, for example, has actually gotten flooded with patients calling, worried that their appointments are not canceled, worried that they can't come in and get Mm health care. You can still go in and get health care even if you live in one of these states. All of these laws so far have been, as part of the process of challenging Roe v. Wade in court, enjoined by courts. Now, there's always bad news. (laughs) We can't. Let's just leave it there. That's all the time we have today. Thanks, folks. Have a great weekend. You know, aside from from who we have on the Supreme Court, you also can't count on lower courts, right? Like Trump has been systematically stacking the courts with extremely conservative. A hundred judges, judges I yeah, hear. Yeah, it's 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 bad. Um, so you know, I, I think in the past we've always kind of been like, oh, well, the courts will stop this, and like we, while they have for now. We don't know that that's going to hold forever. But right now, if you live in Georgia, if you live in Ohio, if you live in Mississippi, you can still go in and get your health care. Now, 
I have other good news. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there is a backlash that is positive in states. And remember, this is this is all happening while abortion has been gaining support in this country. As we've had more than four decades of safe legal abortion in this country, you have seen the support for accessing abortion and Roe versus Wade rise. It's now more than seven in 10 Americans. And that's one of the reasons why, by the way, Trump is saying all of these like incredible made up crazy lies about I don't even want to say they're about abortion. They're about like something he made up that he wants to call abortion. Like world's worst yeah. fanfic ever. Exactly. And it's because they, there's no way they can win this fight unless they lie, right? There is literally, right. if they actually talk about what the reality is for women, what the reality <coughs> is for medical care, they lose support. Nobody wants these freaking laws. Nobody wants women's lives to be in danger. So just, just to interrupt for a second, because yeah. we were talking about this earlier with regard to crazy stuff going on in Florida. This is not a partisan issue. This is not like a Democrats versus Republicans issue. And it's not a 50-50 issue. No. No. This is a majority of Americans, no matter your political party, no matter where you live, no matter all of that stuff, support access to abortion. They do not want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. And it has been consistent and climbing. Right. It's not like it's been going up and down and up and down and up and down. Right. Consistently, Americans have supported this and support has been growing. Um, And so you're seeing that take place in states where we actually have really good lawmakers in charge of of state legislatures. Right. So Vermont just passed a constitutional amendment enshrining the right to access abortion into state law. Um, It's done. You can move to Vermont and get an abortion no matter what happens on the Supreme Court. Period. Maine is moving a law that looks like it's going to pass for sure where Medicaid covers access to abortion, which means... Oh, that's huge. Yeah, it's huge, right? And so if you don't actually have the money to afford abortion, there's some help for you. Right, exactly. Because federally, because of the unfair Hyde Amendment, uh, you know, if you depend on Medicaid, you can't access abortion. Your health insurance will not cover it. And so... You know, if you if you're on that for health care, it's because you have a lower income. It's because you don't make a ton of money. And then you're having to pay out of pocket on top of that for this health care makes it really hard to access. If you can access it through Medicaid, then you're you're OK. You're, you're not going to be kept from it because you don't you're not a rich person, you know. Tell us more good news, Erica. <laughs> what are the other states that are doing the right thing instead of the opposite of the right yeah. thing? Well, we've, I mean, New York, for example, New York passed the Reproductive Health Amendment. This is actually something It's been we've, a really long fight. I used to cover New York politics. This has been yeah. years. I worked at Planned Parenthood in New York City in 2008, and we were still fighting to pass this. Then, that's more than 10 years ago. But, um, yeah. I think it's also, I think that, that, you know, what you're saying right now, it's pretty clear, you know, people in New York have been pushing for New York to enshrine the right to abortion um, in in the state. But I don't think it became really real for people until recently. And it's terrible that it takes um, a real feeling that Roe versus Wade might not exist anymore for people to really make that uh, to really make that move. But that's what it took for New York. And and that is good news. <laughs> so, like, it, it, I mean, is I guess the silver lining is that the fear is motivating people to take it seriously instead of taking it for granted. Yes. Yes. And that it is happening across the states. And, and you know, before all of this happened, before it became really real that we might lose Roe versus Wade um, or the protections that are in Roe versus Wade. Right. Uh, even some blue states 
had trigger laws on the books, which are laws that say abortion would be illegal if Roe versus Wade wasn't law of the land. Um, and nobody had worried about it. New York was like it was just struck out of the criminal code. It wasn't like there was actually a law saying you could access abortion. And so I think this is really having people in states take a hard look at like, oh, we need to protect this. This is this is real. This could happen soon. There, you, I, I can't remember exactly because it is changing every day, but I think there's now 15 cases that are like one step away from the Supreme Court that could be the challenge to the right to have an abortion in this country. Um, and so this, this is real. This is people are moving and people are saying, we don't want this to happen in our state. We want to have ironclad protections that mean that you can be able to access abortion in this state no matter what. So... <clears throat> I hate to do this, but worst case scenario, one of the many, um, you know, or I guess two of the many states that have decided that they're just going to defy the law in the hopes that the Supreme Court will say, totally cool to do that. Um, the Supreme Court says, totally cool to do that. Roe v. Wade, gone. Suck it, ladies. Then what happens? Uh, um, well... I mean, then what happens is that these laws go into effect. And, uh, you know, it's not just the states like uh, Georgia and Alabama. Um, it's also there are a bunch of states across the country where once Roe versus Wade falls, uh, abortion would be illegal or inaccessible. Um, and I think it, it is about half the states in this country Um and it impacts one in three women of reproductive age in this country, or 25 million women. Um, so that's a lot of people who no longer access that health care at all. And uh, that's dangerous. There has been some really good reporting. Um, I believe that, that at least one of the, the stories was in Alabama, um, where oppression is functionally illegal and, and it functionally impossible to access. Um, and there's been some really good reporting on the ground um, in some of these places, um, you know, that paint the picture of like, we're already here and it is already affecting people. And, um, you know, it paints a really, really dystopian picture of what entire swaths of the country could look like um and you know it's not like like we're like we're repeatedly saying like this is real this is not this is not alarmist this is not um you know three ladies panicking um although we are to be yes, fair, at least i am yes yeah to be yes <laughs> this is not uh, three ladies panicking without good reason but there, are, there are others <laughs> out there exactly so. exactly and it's it's super super real Okay, so what can we three ladies and the millions of ladies we certainly represent out there, what can we do? Yeah. Um, well, I always try to have something you can do when I talk to you because I always bring all the depressing news. Um, Give me my actions that I can take to save the country. Well, so right now, um, you can, of course, sign up with Planned Parenthood um, and help fight the bans uh, in states uh, and also fight the bans across the country. Um, the second thing, and you can do that by going to PlannedParenthoodAction.org. Um, and the second thing you can do is uh, donate to your local abortion fund. Um, these are really important groups that help make sure that women can access abortion 
um, whether or not they have the funds to, whether or not they live near a health center that provides abortion, whether or not they're going to have to travel for like five days, get an overnight hotel, get childcare, all that kind of stuff. Um, and the third thing you can do is there are elections coming up. It's one of my favorite things to think about. Yeah, and you can get involved. And while you don't need to dive into the Democratic primary yet, if you are not ready to, um, you can get ready to help stop Trump and also help stop some of these local politicians who are pushing these bans through because we know there are going to be consequences. Well, thank you, Erica, and thank you, Addie, for bringing us depressing news, but some kind of optimistic silver lining, what you can do, not all bad, we're not all going to hell just yet, information as well. Thanks for joining a really depressing day on The Bill Press Show. Everybody have a great weekend, and you've made it through another week of Trump's America. This is The Bill Press Show.